Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. Welcome to Cape to the Cross Apologetics. We are working our way through Scott Christensen's book, What About Evil? A Defense of God's Sovereign Glory. And so this is where we've worked our way to the third chapter, and uh, we'll be uh, looking at probing the dark. Right. We're going right. to look into the abyss. Yeah, how about yeah. that? <laughs> right. and, uh, and so this chapter uh, is really good because it gives us some definitions about what, what evils are. Yeah. yeah, and so we'll get a feel for where he's coming from as we look at his definitions. Uh, he begins this chapter by saying that we live in a haunted, confused world where pinning down the nature of evil eludes us, right? Uh, he says that this is one of the problems that confronts us when trying to think about theodicy. Peter Geach captures our uh, modern angst, he says, by, quote, we cannot hope to understand in this life uh, of sin. Sin is the absurd or absurd element in the universe, Right. <laughs> And so yet without understanding the element of sin, of, of evil, right? So it's kind of equating those terms. Mm-hmm. Our secularized age, notice, has no way to justify moral outrage or to make sense of pain and suffering. Yeah. And so he wants to drive, at least initially, drive that point home uh, to help us to see that, you know, if you don't, there is no, we might say, basis for their outrage with regard to evil uh, from a secular perspective. And so he's going to, he's going to try to work us through that particular issue. So in this one, we're going to, we're going to see definitions because again, it's always good to define your terms. We're going to see kind of how the, the theist and the uh, non-theist tend to define it. And uh, if there's any basis or grounding for it, and then, uh, the usual questions that come up of kind of what about this? What about this aspect? Um, you have, um, you know, oh, can, can, are you saying unbelievers are, are not able to be moral uh, people? Uh, that's actually answered in this, uh, as, in this yeah, chapter as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when it comes to, to the, the complexity of defining evil, it's kind of like that, um, that uh, famous quote from the Supreme Court of, uh, well, what is pornography? Well, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it type <laughs> deal. So uh, I, th- I think, uh, I think, uh, as a society, we tend to um, uh, get into that kind of nomenclature a lot of, uh, well, you know, if, if it if it hurts me or if it's, it's if it, if I think it's evil, then it's probably yeah, evil. obviously it's evil. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's what yeah. we're going to be looking at. <laughs> so here's the the secularist quandary: if a tangled Darwinian, Nietzschean, Marxist, Freud cosmos exists, uh, <laughs> you know, all those all those uh, very good uh, non theists then what is evil? That's the question. Can mm-hmm. evil exist in a purely materialistic, naturalistic framework infected with a strange brew of this nihilism and kind of therapeutic narcissism, this, this self-navel-gazing uh, look at, <laughs> you know, look, look inward to look outward type deal? Those that are caught in this nexus want desperately to challenge believers with hard questions about God and evil. Oh, you know, it, it, again, it, we call it the problem of evil. Right, well, right. Problem for who yeah. and in what capacity? Yeah. Uh, yet the secularists have trouble being able to make enough sense of reality to pose the two as a problem. So again, mm-hmm. do you have a basis for it? Do you have a definition for it? What are you talking about when you say there is no God and I hate and him? Yet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, or there is no God yeah. and yet evil he, exists. He's, right? he's a, 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 a immoral monster that <laughs> yeah, that that doesn't that, exist. That <laughs> hates life. Well, <laughs> but he, he doesn't exist then, right? Right. 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 Oh, yeah. Okay. 
That's, that, that makes it a little hard to, to kind of wrap your mind around that. And so what he says here is that the, in the end, theodicy is as much a problem for the atheist as, he, as it is for the theist. And that's what he's going to try to show here. The honest and careful theist, he says, must admit that evil is a problem because he has a clear view of who God is and what evil is. Right. But the atheists and his cousin, the agnostics, right, have a deeper problem, he says. They must suffer all the ill effects of evil while having no way to explain it. Right. right? And so the secularists cannot justify its existence if you know, if God doesn't exist. In other words, the only reason why evil is a problem at all, he says, is because God does indeed exist. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so in the, uh, the Christian worldview, we have the problem with the problem of evil. We, <laughs> we, we understand the evil. We just have the problem with the, 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 problem. the, the well, how does it work <laughs> yeah. for the atheist on the other hand, or the non-theist, he has the problem with the evil part. Right. We, we so know that we there's have a the problem. problem with the problem part. Right. They have the problem with the evil part. Right. right. Why can you call anything evil? Right. Basically, right. exactly you, where you're coming from. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, in, in this section here called uh, the real face of the godless world, uh, he, of course, uh, turns to our good friend uh, Bertrand Russell. We always have to reference in, in kind of these conversations. So he's among the, the few honest atheists who openly recognizes this issue. A world where God is dead is a realm where meaningless uh, meaning and morals escape us. Right. If there's no grounding for it, if there's no this objective, non-human, uh, 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 you know, uh, above space and time being that kind of can show us the way towards the purpose of it all, it was, especially if he's a creator, what, what, you know, the, the, the question of life and meaning, well, is there one? Is that the proper question even to ask there? Yeah, he, he, uh, he quotes from Russell's uh, mysticism and logic here. Let me just read a, mm-hmm. a little bit of this. He's, Russell says this. This is um, his essay, A Free Man's Worship. Um, man is the product of causes which had no uh, pre- provision of the end they were achieving. That is his origin, his growth, his hopes, his fears, his loves, his beliefs are but the outcome of an accidental coalition of atoms that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all of the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. <laughs> so how about that for a, a fine ending of the story? Right? Sounds very happy. Yeah. <laughs> a, a purposeless universe, uh, we, we, should, we should find just cold hard facts. And fortunately, we, we're not just a sterile environment. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> so in a purely materialistic, naturalistic world, morals, values, uh, become unanchored, subjective local constructs that constantly change with the shifting of cultural sands. You know, so uh, uh, what was what was wrong? Uh, I mean, we're, we're getting to to months at this point, not even yeah. years or decades. <laughs> yeah. What um, was, you know, yeah, what was wrong a few days yeah. ago? <laughs> I, I fell asleep. I woke up. Uh, tw- Twitter was on fire, and I couldn't tell uh, who who to be mad at. Yeah. <laughs> uh, given the honest trajectory of nihilism, though, that obtains in a godless cosmos, it is difficult to talk meaningfully about the existence of good and evil. So those yeah. those terms tend to to lose the luster of of coherency or, or understanding when someone's like, Oh, that, that's good. Yeah. I, I had a good sandwich. Yeah, oh, right. a good moral sandwich the other day. 
So his next section, he's, he wants to pursue this particular issue a little more. It's entitled Secular Confusion About Evil. Yeah. And he says that we chafe uh, against Henry, uh, Carl Henry's assessment. The creator has not arranged the universe for maximal, notice, creaturely happiness. Right. Least of all, if happiness means unruffled ease and self-satisfied uh, con- uh, contentment. So, you know, generally we think of, well, what's good is whatever makes me happy. Right. The whole universe exists to make me happy. Right. Right. Or God created everything so that I would be happy. You rub that lamp and then (laughs) out pops the genie. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, Carl Henry said, boy, that sure doesn't seem to be the case. Right. And so consequently, he says many secular definitions of evil uh, blatantly conceive it apart from any moral considerations. Moral and natural evil collapse, he tells us, into Anything that causes human discomfort and suffering, that's what evil is. Mm-hmm. Right? If, if, it, if, it, uh, if it's uncomfortable for me, yeah. then that must be evil. Yeah. Right? If I have to bend down to, to, to uh, pluck the plant from the ground, yeah. then, then it's an inconvenience. Evil, evil, evil. Yeah. So, at, you know, at the very beginning, before the fall, uh, Adam and Eve were, were tasked to expand the garden. Work. There's work there. Oh no! That, you know, to, to the uh, to the uh, the communists, that that's the, the worst of all possible evils. So uh, so it, it seems like uh, we're missing the mark on on certain things. And and uh, you know, I, I was thinking of uh, so anything doesn't that doesn't cause us discomfort or, or or suffering. So things like racism is that evil to to be racist towards someone? It doesn't cause suffering. Me suffering, right? Suffering. Yeah. If I'm racist towards someone, am I suffering? Well, right. I, you know. Uh, a case I think could be made that no, not really. Right. right. <laughs> uh, um, uh, how about burning down the rainforest? That doesn't really cause suffering to a person. I mean, it might cause suffering to the planet as a whole, maybe. But yeah. is is what I'm doing evil then? Yeah. Or um, how about how about if I like pain? And then, and then, is it not no longer evil? To, for so for someone, it is evil. Right. But for me, who. Um, maybe I'm so a I'm masochist. A masochist. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really enjoy, uh, you know, uh, watching uh, Holocaust videos because it brings me pleasure. So then it's no longer an evil thing. It's yes, just not. personal. If it's no personal suffering preference. and no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, discomfort. Wow. So yeah. So that, those were some of the ones that I was, I was trying to, subjective. To, to think of that, that might be the, the issue here. So the primary concept of evil, that is moral evil, is not seen as violating a universally consistent and objective set of ethical standards to which all humans have obligations, which is what kind of the the Christian would kind of want to point to, but it is that which deliberately strips away our personal subjective feelings of happiness. I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm not happy, boom, evil. I got to go to work tomorrow. Evil. I've I've got to wake up from a nap. Oh, evil. Yeah. I want to play video games, but unfortunately, I I have to read this book. It's evil (laughs) that reading what about evil. Oh, man. (laughs) Ironic. So evil is what makes us feel bad at violating our preferential whims. But again, uh, you know, when you talk about um, higher order um, preferences, I mean, you know, I'd I'd rather have... uh, uh, 12 Mountain Dews than, than five Mountain Dews. So, so if I don't have, if I only have five, is, is that evil? Because uh, I could maximize my happiness with right, 12, but right. not five. So, yeah. So, yeah. so is you have that to evil? Do a ego, e- a evil calculation. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> 
like you know, like uh, it's like uh, you know, consequentialism. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> utilitarianism only is non-utilitarianism. <laughs> right. I guess, within evil myself. Utilitarian. Yeah. <laughs> so he says that the modern postmodern outlook also tends to look at evil in an atomistic manner. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, an isol- occasional and isolated disturbances of individuals that can be remedied through education, social and political reform, psychological therapy, or psychotropic medication. Yeah, drugs. Right? Drugs. Yeah. Just take all the drugs. Exactly. exactly. We're no longer <laughs> willful sinners, he tells us. We we have victims instead of criminals, oh, yeah. right? We have psychopaths and sociopath uh, sicknesses needing thera- uh, you know, therapy and medical treatment. We don't blame people for being sick, though. We pity them. Right. Right. And so, well, what use, uh, what used to be called, he tells us, acts of witness have no more moral lessons for us. The guilt or remorse points to no real wrong. Right. I mean, a person who's sick, you wouldn't say is wrong. Right. You wouldn't say they're evil if they're (laughs) sick. Right. And so if that's the case, then what is evil? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. We've kind of. Taking it away. Right. Right? Yeah. Well, he just, you know, we need social reform. We need better education. And then, you know, uh, wow. We just educate the masses and no no poor, no, no, nothing else. Just <laughs> just education is, is the answer for all. Yeah. So once you eliminate creatures who are made in the image of a holy and righteous God who stagger willfully and terribly under the weight of original sin, evil must be consigned to such mysterious outside forces, to this kind of a psychological disorder or the realm of the incomprehensible. Like, well, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't know what evil is, but if, if, if we take enough of the social ills away, then, then kind of what's left, we'll, we'll deal with it then. But right now it's, you know, uh, we need more medication, more, uh, you know, more services, more, you know, uh, government intrusion or, or help or however you want to or lack it. thereof <laughs> yeah or lack thereof that'd be nice <laughs> but from a biblical perspective these various strains of moral confusion are nothing more than the inevitable sinful human tendencies to suppress the reality of god that deludes the creature into thinking that he will be freed from moral constraints to experience human flourishing so it's not that again like it's it's not that there's a problem of evil because we have an understanding of what evil is where unfortunately you can't even get off the ground when you uh, remove God from it and and say, okay, then what is evil? It seems like we have a lot of things that happen and we try to negate them through uh, various outside means uh, to to the individual. Um, But, but it doesn't seem like there's a, uh, a strict definition that we can work with and say, ah, this is what you mean by a a moral failing, a moral evil. But with Christianity, we have something in vested already in our worldview to, to, to not only point to and say that's evil, but to compare it against an objectively good thing. Right. And to solve. Right. Right. Yeah. And there, yeah, there's a solution there. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, the stubborn suppression only increases one's capacity for descending this deeper into darkness and self-deception. I'm sure we'll cover uh, Romans one as, as in fact, the first like three chapters of Romans uh, is covered in in this chapter as well. So yeah. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> so he says, while our post-Christian era may have trouble defining evil, we never lose our intuitive ability to recognize it all around us. Yeah. Right? It's kind of like your pornography illustration. Yeah. Right? I, I, I thought this was a, a just a really good point is that, um, you know, you, you can have all kind of the highfalutin, you know, Dawkins talks, but then, you know, somebody runs somebody over, sees that they're injured and, and, and uh, drives away. You, you have that happen outside a, a Dawkins convention. No one's like, well, 
let's look at the social factors involved here. No, no, it's like, hey, that person's leaving. That's wrong. All right. That yeah. seems to be a, a innate sense of, hey, there's something amiss here, something off kilter. We can definitely recognize. Right? And so he says uh, the time is ripe for discovering uh, uh, a satisfying theodicy, the vast uh, constellation of all the cultural currents over the last three centuries, he tells us, has led us to a moment rich with opportunity, right? <laughs> uh, so, but entering, obviously, this uh, theocado, I think he says, m- maze cannot happen uh, unless we define evil on God's terms and not godless terms. In other words, we can't, he's suggesting, we won't be able to solve the problem Unless we see it as it is, and in order to see it as it is, we have to see it in terms of how God sees it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So what is this uh, biblical concept of evil? Well, first we need to, to uh, settle in on some definitions. And so uh, there are two kind of uh, strains here of, of what evil are. And so we can talk about either as uh, moral evil or natural evil. Right. So when uh, discussing the problem of evil, philosophers and, and theologians make a distinction between these two. So moral evil is that which proceeds from the personal beings as sentient creatures with moral agency. The ability and desire to make moral decisions is is what we're looking at when we talk about moral evil. So kind of person-directed or person-oriented. Mm-hmm. Such evil is uh, uh, perpetrated by intentional actions or by neglect of acting in a way that people ought to act. And it's, uh, I don't know if it's ironic or God's timing or providence, uh, but uh, in our in our family devotion, we're covering right now what is original sin. And so wow. when when uh, wow. we, when we talked about uh, when when he talks about the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I was like, hey, that that's the song I'm singing <laughs> just the other day. So 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 yes, it's not just it's not just internal uh, or, uh, intentional actions, but it's also withholding actions that we're supposed to do mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, this, this cuts down on the, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't throw a child into a, 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 that can't swim into a lake. Uh, but what do I do about a child who is unable to, to swim in a calm lake that I can easily rescue? Well, d- do I have any uh, moral uh, failings against me if I don't help? And so you have people on either side of the, the, the divide saying, oh, well, it's not a moral evil. But here, biblically, we do have a moral obligation of some yeah, capacity. Yeah. So one can intentionally toss an infant into a swimming pool to watch her drown without a shadow of a doubt that is evil, but one could watch an infant accidentally fall into a swimming pool and then neglect to save her, having the ability to do so. That too is evil. All right, so, so that's notice from the Christian this, perspective. Exactly. So notice this moral evil has to do with persons. Moral evil is what persons commit right. kind of thing, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Natural evil then is uh, is some adverse condition in which the world that uh, that's in the world rather that does not necessarily proceed from specific moral choices of human beings, right? But it still causes pain and suffering, never, uh, nevertheless. The link between then moral and natural evil is that both cause various kinds of pain and suffering for us. Natural evil, he says, can fall into different categories, and he lists four or five of them here, Mm -hmm. right? For example, natural disasters such as earthquakes and tornadoes and all that kind of stuff, that's natural evil. Uh, Accidents, you know, such as a blown tire, 
while driving, you know, uh, your car uh, on the highway, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Illnesses and diseases, he says, can be categorized as natural evil, physical and mental handicaps. Uh, he, and then he says even physical toil due to the, you know, physiological weaknesses of the human body combined with the hard, sometimes harsh uh, conditions of the natural environment that we live in, we can categorize that as natural evil. Yeah. Even right. in Michigan, if it's sometimes too cold and the heat's not on too much, oh yeah, this is definitely evil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also talks about uh, the possibility of including uh, something like animal pain in, in there as well. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, th there are there are these different categories. So, uh, the, these two strains are kind of like a an internal influence. So, uh, one that's uh, uh, person directed, and then uh, the natural evil is kind of this outside the the world perspective. So, right. not not. Uh, um, uh, content uh, with just being in, in a in a, a right. person or person. so one is something you do the other is something that's done to you yeah. by the world kind right. of thing yeah. yeah so from a, a biblical perspective uh, this natural evil is ultimately a consequence of moral evil right so uh, the fall <laughs> in other words we live in a world cursed uh, by the disobedience of Adam and Eve and all manner of natural evils are simply a reflection of the cursed creation Once so this is kind of an interesting interesting perspective right so notice what he's suggesting here is things are not the way they're supposed to be mm -hmm. right and there's a reason for it the world we live in is a is cursed right, right. it's cursed as a result of uh, of our sin right. right and so one of the importance of having this definition as as we'll later get to is this definition especially this here will will come about when once we talk about um, you know uh, things like responsibility between uh, uh, humankind and God so uh, um, again, when, when we're reading this, we're, we're building upon foundations, and that's why having a good, solid uh, definition of these things uh, is, is important. So generally speaking, natural evil and good befalls the moral and the immoral alike. It afflicts the believer as much as the unbeliever. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God. There's no one that's outside of that image creation, and there are certain characteristics of uh, of God's character that we reflect even if we don't come to acknowledge him as as being existing or our father or uh, uh, our savior uh, we, we still kind of have that ability so this does not mean that indifferent faith replaces divine providence it simply means that God is not automatically predisposed to suspend creation's curse for some but not for others so right. oh, once I become a believer my life is easy sailing I've, I said the <laughs> prayer uh, Jesus came into my heart. I'm living for him. I'm not going to get hit by the bus. I can just walk out into it. Right, right. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is not the way, right? We yeah. don't automatically are exempt from the consequences of a cursed world right. just because we're believers, right? Uh, we, we have to live in this world in terms of how it is. And so he says this perspective uh, also disabuses us of an unfortunate uh, distortion, he said, that the Enlightenment re uh, reacted to. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was a mess place the odyssey that suggested every instance of natural evil was divine retribution right for some specific you know infraction that somebody did right some infraction of god's moral law you know and this he's he says this is like what job's friends <laughs> I mean, did, that's right you have to you've yeah. had to had to do something evil otherwise you know you wouldn't be going through mm -hmm. this right yeah it's the it's the reverse of Part, part, portion of the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just the, uh, you, you, you're, 
poor, you're hurting, you stubbed your toe because of the sin of you or your parents, That's somebody right. like or that. Or maybe your lack of faith. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he says, pain and suffering are not always or even usually the immediate consequence of a particular sin. Right. That is a uh, hideous piece of heresy capable of inflicting untold mental anguish. Right. right? Uh, especially if you're covered in boils, uh, scraping them with pot shard and the <laughs> dust, you've lost your children, your wife has abandoned you to uh, these three friends, and they're like, well, Job, it's probably something you did. That's right. No, no, we're pretty sure it was something. <laughs> Very helpful, guys. Thank you. Friends like these, who, who, who needs who the needs, devil? That's right. <laughs> So here's a, a few qualifications that we have to put on this. Uh, natural evil is evil only in as much as it causes unseemly justified pain and suffering to humans. So things like uh, uh, a hurricane going out and then it uh, redirects course and doesn't touch landfall. Uh, no one's house gets uh, covered in water. Uh, we might get a few rain that helps our crops. Not evil. Right. So that's interesting, I thought. Must be wrong. Uh, must be in the wrong place at the wrong time <laughs> when a tornado hits and destroys your home while your your neighbors is left untouched. Also, there is nothing intrinsically evil, moral or otherwise, about some things designated as natural evil. A hurricane that never reaches land, as as I was saying, uh, destroying people and property is not regarded as evil. In fact, it could be a net benefit, is what he covers here. Yeah, it's sufficient to know that in the aftermath of the fall, any adverse conditions in the natural world that cause undue pain and suffering to God's creatures can be construed as instances of natural evil. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so it seems interesting here that when we talk about evil, it is human directed, and so we we just don't we just can't say ah hurricane hurricane evil. Right. It has to do something to us. Right. Right. It has to affect us negatively in right. some way. All right, what about uh, defining moral evil? So he says, no philosophy, religious tradition, or ideological framework has provided such a deeply penetrating and robust grounding for the understanding of good and evil as biblical Christianity. Mm -hmm. right? Christianity also provides a unique grounding for moral imperatives in the personhood of God. Uh, it sees humans as creatures with the same personhood, right? We're created in the image of God, right? right? And this means that our sense of good and evil uh, situates humans not in relation to their fellow humans, nor in the relation to society, nor in relation to the state, but in relation to God. We're created in God image. He is the heavenly judge, right. is what he tells us here, right? <clears throat> Uh, so as we talked about a little bit uh, before, the Westminster Standard is a good standard uh, for starting place to define moral evil, which is equivalent to biblical concepts of sin. And I won't ruin everybody's <laughs> lunch or anything by singing it, so I'll just say that uh, um, it, it, it pl places a good um, uh, definition here. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of any law of God given as a rule to the reasonable creature. Mm. So... Uh, we, we fail to live up to doing something or so a actively go against, or uh, we have a rule that we don't do something. So we do what we're not supposed to do and we don't do what we're supposed to do. Both those streams are sin, which is a rule that we break uh, that's given to us by God. All right. So what if I'm just thinking something? Well, it depends. I mean, so if it goes against uh, whatever God wants, right? Yeah, my thought goes against whatever God wants. I'm not hurting anybody. Is that sin? It, it seems like it because that's what Jesus calls it. So, <laughs> so if I hate my brother, 
I've committed murder against them. In so, my heart. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, if, I, yeah. if I look at a woman with lust, I've committed adultery. So, in my heart, right. yes. So, it's, so, yes, you can, you thoughts can be evil, right? right? So, it's w- one of the reasons why we're told to take every thought captive. Mm-hmm. Don't just let it go out there. Be self-contained. Be self-balanced uh, uh, um, uh, uh, with the understanding of what God's desires is for you, because you know it's 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 one of those uh, from out of the the heart the mouth speaks. So having that heart, that thought process, that moral uh, intuition uh, concept being controlled and and brought under the submission of, of God is what we're called to do. Right, and so notice it's uh, so in this respect, then uh, good and evil, moral right and wrong has to do with uh, its relation to God and not what we do or say to other people necessarily, right. right? It's wrong because it doesn't, as we saw, conform to God's law, right? Not necessarily because it harms somebody. It is wrong because it harms somebody. Mm-hmm. It is evil. But the real sin, the real evil is is because it's non-conformity to what God wants, right? right? So things like racism objectively can be a sin because I'm not viewing another person as uh, being made in the image of God who also uh, requires the same type of salvation that I received or uh, that is offered to everybody, to the Jew first and then to the Greek and to the entire world. Uh, and so uh, by, by, by having those incorrect thoughts, I am committing evil. I can say racism is evil. Mm. I don't mm. know how you can say it in the other one other than just it feels icky or right. it feels bad to yeah. me or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So note that the sin is tied, again, to a sense of obligation. There is an oughtness connected to the moral reasoning. It's something that I ought to do. It's something I should do. There's a kind of a command built in there to things requiring of us and things forbidden. You ought not to do this is uh, included in there as well. This assumes a prior, a prior uh, innate knowledge of good and evil. So where do we get that from? Yeah. Well, he quotes uh, Jeffrey Russell here. He says, uh, who by no means, by the way, speaking from a Christian uh, presuppositions, Jeffrey Russell notes, uh, when we observe an act of cruelty, we do not engage in a complicated process of subjecting data, you know, to value analysis <laughs> or the, you know, the criteria of an abstract ethical system right. kind of thing, right? No, we react with certain intuitive knowledge that the act is evil, right? Right. We don't have to go through this calculation process because somehow, you know, there's this, uh, you know, objective, you know, analytical thing that we have to go through. Right. right. So uh, th- there can be a person on an island that is uh, not attached to the Western world that uh, I, I, I've seen the person um, uh, taking puppies in, in bags and, and pummeling them to death. I can call that evil without it. Uh, okay, well, here, uh, what, what what are the laws of, of that of that island state, and and does that person <laughs> have the same type of knowledge of what suffering is? I'm not plugging this in and and coming out with an equal sign. I'm looking at it, and there is a sense that sometimes the sense of of internal revulsion is that kind of. Uh, we'll we'll get to it a little bit later, but that consciousness kind of rising up in you and saying, "Ooh, hold on, put the halts on. I'm experiencing something that is also." Uh, um, kind of um, 
being the application of being made in the image of God. Right. In fact, that's exactly what he says. He says the <laughs> biblical name for this internal anchor is conscience. Hey, there we right? go. Uh, it is like an independent third party who has set up a shop inside our souls or our heads, our hearts, whatever, to alert us when something is morally right or wrong and it goes awry. Right? <clears throat> so the ever-present sense of obligation then, connected to our moral awareness and it indicates an obligation to the divine lawgiver and judge. And we see this in, uh, in Leviticus 19, two and first Peter, uh, uh, chapter one, verse 16. Why is there such an obligation to an unseen arbiter communicating through the conscious? Well, because God is also our creator. He's our de facto owner. He's able to have the rightful possession of our person. We are not our own. We belong to an all-powerful, all-knowing Lord and Master of the universe. Right. And he's, that's it, it, kind of, it's just the way things are yeah. type deal. So notice, without that, I can do anything I want, and, and it's good or bad depending on whatever I think it is, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Uh, because nobody owns me. I'm, I'm my own person. And so if I, you know, I, I can love people or I can eat people. Right? It doesn't matter if indeed there is no God, there is no, you know, uh, law, uh, universal law. Now, there might be social, you know, state laws that are against it, but that's just what people think, right? Right. Well, I have my own that's thoughts. That's might makes right. Yeah. That, that's, can they hold me? Yeah. So what makes it wrong, yeah. he's suggesting here, is that it's committed against the creator who is, for all practical purposes, the one who made us and owns us. Right. And so we have an obligation to him. Like like any good libertarian, it comes down to property rights, and God holds all the property. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it follows, then, that if God is the source of objective moral standards, then he himself must be characterized by moral perfection. So uh, in, in 1 John 1, 5, it says, uh, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Mm. He is the unchanging norm of what is true and right in all places, times, and cultures a God whose reality is unaltered by the ebb and flow, the relativity of life, unaffected by private perceptions or internal psychology, or who's the most important person on YouTube telling us how to live <laughs> or telling us to, to make our bed or to uh, to shirk off the chains of this this uh, mortal coil and and uh, come join him on the other side of a, 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 a you know a, a meteorite that's uh, as a UFO. So all this is inconsequential to what, the, the rule giver gives us. It's nonsense. This, this explains why Paul, after detailing the catalog of human depravity in Romans 3, uh, 9 through 20, gives our fundamental condition this way, for all have sinned and done what? Now, fallen from their own ideal of what's what's uh, what's they consider right and wrong, it's fallen short of the glory of God. He's the standard. He's what we measure ourselves up against. And unfortunately, we fail. And so there's yeah. there's no hope. We've, 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 we're unmatched, but that's still, even, even if there is no, um, no out, no sense of redemption, uh, although, uh, uh, Scott Christensen in, in the last chapter told us redemption is a, a critical part of the story of, of right. this answer. Yeah. Uh, there's still an, uh, a, a, a standard, a, a ruler, uh, uh, you know, like a measuring stick that we put ourselves up against and we go, Oh, 11 inches. Well, we were almost there, oh, but we're not, we're not a good ruler in that way. <laughs> 12. Yeah, yeah. For us Americans, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And so with regard to this sin issue, he says, J.I. Packer goes on to state that sin is essentially the resolve, the mad, utter, blameworthy, but nonetheless utterly 
firm resolve to play God and fight the real God, right? right? I want to do what I want to do. Sinners resolve to treat themselves as a sinner <laughs> of the universe and so that, uh, you know, they can keep God at bay on the outer circumference of their lives, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm the captain of my ship. You know, I'm the center of the universe. What I say is what it is right? kind of thing, right? And so that, that's that's when it comes to a head is that we're, we're, we're having different different reference points when we talk to a, a, a theist and an atheist or a theist and, and just somebody else is that the reference point of, of going back is I'm not trying to convince you as, as a believer to a unbeliever that, um, that you're wrong because, uh, you know, you should feel it w welling up inside of you. No, in just the opposite fact, I should be pointing them back to the standard bearer. And so, uh, the the unbeliever through their worldview is unable to 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 look at that standard because uh, Romans one tells us there there's suppression there so that uh, that you can kind of uh, do what you want there and have your own standard and put other things up in place of uh, that ultimate standard that takes the place of God. We all worship something. We all kind of put that there, whether it be the law or government or, or ourselves, you know, our person, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, 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 you know, we, we make different levels to that as well as, as, you know, oh, I can disobey it at any point, but here is an objective one for all people and all standards. Yeah. Good. So in the end, the proclivity for personal moral evil in the world stems from a false standard, a false goal and a false motive. The defined standard is replaced with a dubious human standard. Because guess what? Yesterday I was right. Today I wasn't right. That's so right. what does that so make me yesterday? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even personal standard fails. Right, here. Right. The goal is human autonomy aided by whatever gods we invent. The motive is not to glorify the triune God, but to glorify ourselves, to steal false and feeble glory that corrupts all that is good and right and true. Why do you think the, the unbelievers <laughs> seem to know more? Judge not lest ye be judged. That, that seems to be the favorite go-to verse that everybody <laughs> suddenly knows instead yeah. of John 3, 16. So, <laughs> Matthew of course, they don't, they, they don't know where it is, but, yeah, but they yeah, know Matthew it's in there, right? And, yeah. and there's nothing before or after that. <laughs> yes, right. So uh, to, to end our, our, our episode here, Christian says, uh, Biblical Christianity stands alone in making such an unapologetic, trenchant, and sober assessment of the heart of evil Guess what? It's ourselves. That's right. right. <laughs> we have faced evil and it was us in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, we right. want the monsters to be under our bed. But <laughs> even even when, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the story ends and the, the monsters are removed from under the bed, rebellion uh, happens again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we, we need something uh, that, that replaces our hearts, that um, uh, does what we're unable to do because it seems like we've been failing for a long time. And so uh, we, we, uh, we, we've, we've, not only have the diagnosis and the ability to back up the diagnosis with that standard uh, and to have those, those terms that we've, we've come to know instead of co-opting them and coming up with new ones, uh, we've, we, we have, we can make sense of words like good, moral imperatives, things not to do. Um, and, uh, and so we have the answer and also the remedy for it too. Yeah. Good. All right, so uh, we went uh, a good length here, so uh, we're going to cut it right in, in half here, and we'll pick back up with the uh, second half of Probing the Darkness. That's uh, uh, Chapter 3 here, and so uh, we thank for joining us. Uh, uh, as always, um, the back of the, the end of the chapter has uh, things like uh, uh, big, big terms, uh, 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 questions, uh, further readings, study questions, and, and stuff. So um, if you want to wait for to do that or to... Um, uh, uh, do it now and then uh, uh, have a better sense of what we're talking about through the rest of them. 
uh, then you'll be all set for next time. So thanks for joining us. Yep. We'll see you next time.